0: For Godly mothers aren't we thankful for the difference that godly mothers make in our lives Mr. Moody tells a story about a man a young a young man who enlisted in the Mexican war in 1846 in the time leading up to his departure date his mother was constantly begging him to make the decision to become a Christian he'd never submitted his life to Jesus so day after day she was begging him to make that decision to follow Jesus to put him on in baptism and she kept on saying no he kept on refusing well eventually the morning came where he was about to leave he met his mother to say goodbye and his mother gave him two things First, she gave him a watch and she told him, honey, I want you to wear this watch everywhere that you go. At 12 o'clock every single day, I want you to look down at this watch and know for a fact that your mother is praying for you. Then she handed him her own personal Bible and she said, I want you to take this too. If you'll flip throughout its pages, you'll see that there are several passages that I've highlighted. And on the inside of the front cover, there are several verses that I've written down. Promise me that you'll read it every single night before you go to bed. He promised that He would do both of those things. And so when he went to fight in the war, every day at 12 o'clock, he looked at his watch and knew his mother was praying for him. Every night before he went to bed, he read through this, the Bible, his mother's personal Bible, noting the passages that she had highlighted and the passages that she had written down. It took several years, but eventually that young man made the decision to become a Christian. Eventually, he made the decision to follow Jesus. And when he was talking to Dr. Moody about that decision that he made to follow Jesus, he points back to that moment with his mother. That moment where she handed him the watch and handed him the Bible and said, I'm going to be praying for you. Will you please read this every night? He said, that is the moment that changes everything. A mother who was certainly concerned about her son's physical well-being, a mother who was concerned absolutely about his physical safety going to war, but a mother who was even more concerned about his spiritual well-being, a mother who was concerned about her son's relationship with God, it highlights the question, aren't we thankful for godly mothers? Aren't we thankful for the difference that they make in our lives? Abraham Lincoln is recorded as saying, No man is poor who has had a godly mother. That's true, isn't it? But what does that look like? What does it look like to be a godly mother? You've heard me do this before, but I feel like right now I need to insert a disclaimer. A disclaimer to say, I've never been a mother. And don't plan on being a mother. I don't think that I'll ever be a mother. And I realize that I'll never understand everything that comes along with motherhood. The physical toll. The emotional aspects of it. The connection between a mother and a child. I'm never going to understand that fully. I'm always going to have to view that from the outside looking in. But as always, my my job is not to communicate my experiences My job is not to communicate what I'm able to understand 100%. My job is to communicate what God has revealed to us in the pages of His Word. If we're going to talk about being a godly mother, don't you think we need to go back to what God has said about that subject? If we're going to talk about being a godly mother, a mother who lives based on godliness, don't we need to go back to what God has said about the subject? And that's what I want us to do this morning. Maybe you are a mother or a grandmother. What does it look like for you to be a godly mother or a godly grandmother? Maybe you're not a mother or grandmother yet, but one day you hope to be. That's something that you have in your plans for the future. What will it look like for you to be a godly mother or grandmother What are some steps that you need to take right now? And some things that you need to consider so that you can eventually be there one day. And then for those who are like me, you're never going to be a mother and you haven't been a mother. What can we do to encourage godliness in the mothers who are associated with us? What does it look like to be a godly mother? Well, answering that question, what better place is there to go than the life of Mary? In answering that question, talking about godly mothers, what better place is there to go than the woman who was chosen to be the mother of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? So let's narrow our question just a little bit and ask what does it look like to be a godly mother according to the life of Mary? According to the one who was chosen to be the mother of the Son of God. I want us to say three things in response to that question. And the first thing, you might not expect to hear in a Mother's Day sermon. But I think that it's something that's important for us to note. Something that we can understand from the life of Mary. Number one, according to her life, godly mothers are not perfect. And we shouldn't expect them to be. Go back to our Scripture reading that we read just a few minutes ago from Luke chapter 1, verses thirty. 35, when the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and and tells her that you have found favor with God, what does that tell us about Mary's character? It tells us that she was a godly woman. She was a godly person. Mary lived a life that was defined by godliness. She had a relationship with God that was very strong. And as a result of that relationship with God, she was the one chosen to be the mother of our Lord Jesus. The one chosen to whom the Holy Spirit would overshadow and she would be with child, a virgin, with the Son of the Most High. Mary gave birth to and had the privilege of raising the eternal Word who became flesh in John chapter 1 and verse 14. God in human form. Can you imagine what that would be like? Can you imagine what an experience that would be? Mary was a godly person. She was a godly mother. She lived a godly life. But we never need to think for one second that she didn't make mistakes. Mary was a godly woman. But she wasn't a perfect woman. Mary was a godly mother, but she wasn't a perfect mother. Mary gave birth to the only perfect person to ever live. But don't think for a second that she was perfect herself. Because Mary made mistakes, not just in her life, but she made mistakes in being a mother. For instance, when you go to Mark chapter 3, verses 20 through 21, when you read throughout the Gospel of Mark up to this point, Jesus and His popularity has been growing among the common people. Everywhere Jesus goes, a large crowd, a large multitude follows Him. Well, the verses immediately preceding this in Mark chapter 3 is where Jesus selects His 12 apostles. He hand-selects those disciples to follow Him. And He takes those twelve apostles. In verse 20, Mark says He went home. Referring to the city of Capernaum. That was Jesus' base of operations during His Galilean ministry. When He went to the city of Capernaum, as could be expected, the crowd gathered again. A large crowd, a large multitude follows Jesus. They approach Jesus. They press in on Jesus to the point that they couldn't even sit down and eat a meal. Verse 21, Mark mentions Jesus' family when his family heard it. If you skip down just a few verses to Mark 3, verses 31 through 32, when Mark mentions Jesus' family, he's specifically talking about Jesus' mother Mary and his brothers. Notice in 31 of Mark 3, his mother and his brothers came. And then in 32, a crowd was sitting around him and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And so when we see in 21 that his family heard it, we're talking about Mary and how Mary would have interacted with Jesus' brothers when they heard about what Jesus was doing. How did they respond? How did they react? Well, have you ever seen a cartoon or maybe you've experienced this in real life. Maybe you've been on the giving end of this or the receiving end of this where a kid is acting up so the mother goes over and, drags him and grabs him by the ear and drags him off. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you've had your ear grabbed before. When Mary hears about what Jesus is doing, that's what she sets out to do in verse twenty one the Bible says, "When Mary and Jesus' brothers heard about what he was doing, they went out to seize him, for they were saying he is out of his mind. Mary hears this report about her son and what his son is what her son is doing, and she thinks that he's gone crazy." She thinks that he has absolutely lost his mind. And so she grabs her other sons by the ear, drags them 20 miles from Nazareth to the city of Capernaum so that she can grab Jesus by the ear and bring him back home before he brings any dishonor on himself or the rest of the family. I would argue and suggest that Mary thinks she's doing the right thing. Mary thinks she's making the right choice. Doing the best thing as a mother. Doing the best thing for her son. She thinks that Jesus is making a mistake. And so she sets out to correct it. But when you look at Mark chapter 3 in the context of Jesus' life, it's not Jesus making the mistake, is it? Isn't it Mary who's making the mistake? Because Jesus is not just Mary's son. Jesus is God's son. And in Mark chapter 3, what is Jesus doing as the Son of God? He's doing what He came to do. He's influencing people's lives. He's teaching people about the Gospel. He's healing them of their diseases and casting out the demons that these individuals were possessed by. Jesus was doing what He came to do. He was fulfilling His purpose. Mary tries to step in the midst of that And to pull him away. Mary makes the mistake in Mark chapter 3 of not just stepping in front of her son, but stepping in front of God's son and trying to disrupt what he's doing in his ministry. What do we learn from that? Well, I think we can learn that godly mothers are not perfect, and we shouldn't expect them to be. Mothers, do you still feel guilty? about some decisions that you've made in your past. Maybe it's something that your husband, your children, your grandchildren don't see. But it's something you think about often. Maybe you don't feel like you're enough. Maybe you feel like you've spent too much time in one area and haven't spent enough time in another area. I mean, you think about it. With all the mistakes that you've made, How can you be considered a godly mother? How can your name and godly even go in the same sentence? Look at Mary. Look at the mother of Jesus. She was a godly woman and a godly mother. Don't you agree? But that doesn't mean that she didn't make mistakes. That doesn't mean that she was perfect. Godly mothers are not perfect and we should not expect them to be Husbands, children, grandchildren, I think this is something that we need to understand too. We should not put impossible, unreasonable expectations on the mothers who are in our lives. I I know that we have some awesome mothers in here this morning. I know that we have mothers in here this morning who are doing the very best that they can, not just for their family, but also for their Lord. Don't expect them to be perfect. Mistakes are going to happen, and whenever those mistakes happen, let's respond appropriately. Let's respond with grace. Let's respond with understanding. Let's respond by having conversations, having a willingness to forgive, and making that relationship stronger as a result of the mistake, instead of allowing it to deteriorate in spite of the mistake. Number one, godly mothers are not perfect. Number two, godly mothers, according to John chapter 19 in the life of Mary, are present in life's most painful moments. Whenever you turn over to John chapter 19 and verse 25, notice that the cross of Jesus is mentioned. That tells you about something about where we are in this story. Think about everything that Jesus has been through up to this point. Think about where Jesus is in John chapter 19. I mean, at this point, he's been arrested. He's been unfairly tried. Jesus has been beaten, mocked, made fun of, spit on, slapped, punched, scourged. He's been nailed to a wooden cross, nails driven through His hands and through His feet, and now He's been hanging on that cross for several hours, suffocating to death. He would have been weak. Psalms 22 talks about how His strength was dried up. Maybe even some of His bones were out of joint. Blood would have been flowing from His head and from His back, from His thighs where He'd been scourged, from His hands and His feet where the nails had been driven. Jesus is weakened and bloodied and beaten and bruised, hanging on the cross, suffocating to death. But then you take a step beyond that and you realize in this moment, Jesus is bearing the weight of all of our sins. The sins of the entire world. I would suggest that this is the most painful moment in Jesus' life. And the question is, who's there? Who's present? Well, John 19.25 says, standing by the cross of Jesus were His. Who's first? His mother. Can you imagine how she would have felt Can you imagine the kind of feeling she would have had looking up at the cross and seeing her son hanging there? Do you know that Scripture actually tells us how she felt? If you go back to Luke chapter 2, verses 34 through 35, this is taking place 40 days after Jesus was born. He's 40 days old in Luke chapter 2. Mary and Joseph take Jesus to the temple in order to be dedicated to the Lord like the Old Testament law told them to do. And in the temple on that day was a man named Simeon who spoke by the Spirit. The Bible says that Simeon told specifically to Mary his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, then watch this, a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Did you catch what he said about how Mary's going to feel? He said, one day a sword is going to pierce through your soul. Let me tell you about this child that you're holding in your arms. This child who's only 40 days old. He's appointed for... The rising of many in Israel, but also for the fall of many in Israel. And there are going to be many in Israel who are going to oppose Jesus. And when this child is opposed, Mary, I want you to know how you're going to feel. It's going to be like a sword is thrust through your soul. Can you see Mary standing at the the foot of the cross? Looking up at her beaten, bloodied, and bruised son feeling like a sword has pierced her own soul. Maybe as Mary stood there looking at the cross, she thought back in that moment 33 years ago in Luke chapter 2. She thought back to that moment and finally it all clicked. It all made sense. As she was feeling pain that I'm sure you can imagine. This is the most painful moment in Jesus' life. Well, Do you think it was also the most painful event in Mary's life? As she stood there and watched her son suffer like that, but yet where was she? But standing by the cross of Jesus was His mother. And I think that's why Jesus said what He did. When you keep reading in John 19, 26 and 27, when Jesus saw His mother and the disciple whom He loved, John, standing nearby, He said to His mother, Woman, behold your son. Then He said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into His own home. Jesus allowed Mary to be present. He allowed Mary to stand there. Jesus allowed her to be present in the midst of His most painful moment but didn't just allow her to be there he took care of her one of the last things that jesus did before he died was make sure his mother was going to be taken care of through the apostle john number two godly mothers are present they are there in life's most painful moments think back to your childhood you're running on the asphalt you fall and skin your knee it stings Maybe it starts to bleed just a little bit. What makes it feel better? Well, you can put as many Band-Aids on there as you want to. You can pour on as much Neosporin as you want to. But we all know that a mother's kiss makes the pain go away. And when we get up a little bit older, we realize that it's not really anything about the kiss. It's not that the kiss has this special magical power that scientifically makes the pain go away. It's because she's there. In that painful moment in your life, she was there for you to run to and she was there to comfort. That's what godly mothers do. Godly mothers are present even in life's most painful Moments. Now, don't misinterpret what I'm saying here. I'm not saying that godly mothers have the ability to shield their family from going through painful moments. Mary couldn't shield Jesus from the cross. I'm not saying that once the pain starts, a godly mother is going to be able to make the pain stop. Mary couldn't make the pain stop. But what she could do is be present even though the pain was so great and the pain was ongoing. That's what godly mothers do. They're there. They are present in life's most painful moments. I think the rest of us need to take a lesson from Jesus on this. Jesus didn't turn His mother away. He didn't turn her away from standing at the foot of His cross and being involved in His pain. But yet, sometimes that's what we do. Maybe sometimes we just want our moms to stay out of our business. Maybe sometimes we're trying to shield them from the difficulty that we're going through. And so we push them away just a little bit. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus allowed her to be there. I think that's an example that we should follow. Allow your mother to be involved in the pain that you go through if she's still present in this life. But don't just run to her whenever you're hurting. Be there for her whenever she's hurting. That's what Jesus did. Like we said, one of the last things He did before He died was to make sure that His mother was taken care of. Make sure the, the benefit goes both ways. Make sure it's both a giving and a receiving. Allow her to be there for you. And you be there for her too. Godly mothers are present in life's most painful moments. But then number three, and this is really the point that makes all the difference, godly mothers submit themselves to Jesus. If you go to Acts chapter 1, looking at this story, the gospel story, Jesus has died, He's been buried, He was raised on the third day, Forty days later, He ascended back into heaven. And that's what He did in the verses immediately preceding this. Jesus has ascended back into heaven. So the eleven apostles, remember they're missing Judas at this time. He's already committed suicide. The eleven apostles go back to the upper room in the city of Jerusalem where they had been staying. And verse number 14 says that with one accord, they were devoting themselves to prayer. Can you picture that scene? They just watched Jesus ascend back to the Father, and now they're together devoting themselves to prayer in perfect unity who else was there though was it just the 11 apostles no we find in 14 they were together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers it might be easy to read right over that if you were just reading Acts chapter 1 and to not really spend that much time thinking about it but as the apostles are gathered together in Acts chapter 1 and verse 13, we find in verse 14, Mary, the mother of Jesus, is right there in the midst of them. She is alongside of them, devoting herself to prayer, following the ascension of Jesus. you know what that tells us? This is really significant. This is significant because in this moment, Mary's relationship with Jesus has changed. Mary is not just Jesus' mother. And in Acts chapter 1, Jesus is not just her son. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus is Mary's Lord. Jesus is Mary's Savior. Jesus is Mary's God. The relationship has drastically changed, the relationship has drastically shifted. Can you imagine how hard that would have been for Mary? She's the one who gave birth to Jesus, she taught Jesus how to talk. She taught Jesus how to walk. She spoon fed Jesus, made sure he was taken care of. She changed Jesus' dirty diapers. She raised Jesus through his teenage years and witnessed every single good thing that he ever did. For 33 years, her identity was wrapped up in being Jesus' mother. But it's not that way in Acts chapter 1. It shifted. She's not just Jesus' mother, and Jesus is not just her son. Jesus is her Savior, her God, her Lord. She has submitted everything that she has to His Lordship. That's what godly mothers do. In fact, that is the single characteristic that makes a godly mother a godly mother. As a mother, you can check every other box. You can be there in life's most painful moments. You can realize that you're not perfect. You can do the best that you can. You can be a good mother. You can even be a great mother. But you'll never be a godly mother if you don't submit your life to Jesus. Mothers, have you? Is Jesus the Lord of your life? Is He the centerpiece in your life that controls everything you do and every decision that you make? Is every day about becoming more like Him? Living for His glory. Making a difference in the lives of other people on His behalf. Have you submitted all that you have to Jesus? Or are you continuing to live in rebellion to Jesus? Godly mothers submit to the Lordship of King Jesus. What does it look like to be a godly mother? What does it look like to be a godly mother according to the life of Mary? Maybe here's three ideas we can think about. There's a a lot more that we could say here and a lot more ground we could cover, but I think these three ideas are significant that godly mothers aren't perfect. They're present. They're there in life's most painful moments, and they submit to the lordship of Jesus. Mothers, can I tell you, when you embrace these three ideas, they're not just going to make a difference in your life. When you embrace these ideas and you apply these ideas, they're going to make a difference in the life of your family, the lives of your children, the life of your husband. See, when you realize that you're not perfect, you're able to point your family towards the only one who is perfect. Whenever you recognize that godly mothers are present and you're there in life's most painful moments, you're able to point your family and your children to the One who will always be present. The One who will never leave them or forsake them. The One who will be with them wherever they go, even when you're gone. When you submit yourself to Jesus, you are leaving a powerful example for your children and for your family without even saying a word about how important Jesus is, how much He is able to do in the lives of His people. And ultimately, that last point is not just restricted to mothers, is it? We all have the responsibility to submit to Jesus. So maybe that's a decision you need to make this morning as a mother or not, to dedicate your life to Jesus and be immersed in the waters of baptism. Maybe you need to make the decision this morning to resubmit your life to Jesus. We'd love to help you with that too. As together we stand and sing the invitation song. There's a
1: great day coming, a great day coming, there's a great day coming by and by. When the saints and the sinners shall be parted right and left, are you ready for the day to come? Oh, Coming by and by, but its brightness shall only come to them that love the Lord. Are you ready for the day to come? By and by, when the sinner shall hear
0: Good morning again. I'd like to welcome each of you to our services at Seven Oaks today. We had 185 in attendance for Bible study this morning, 272 for morning worship. I want to invite each of you back tonight at 6 p.m. for our evening assembly, and again on Wednesday night at 7 p.m. for our midweek Bible study. On our prayer list, we want to give thanks Valeria Davis. His, uh, surgery went well this past week. She is at home recovering, so we're thankful for that. And also, as mentioned in our our prayer earlier, we want to keep Alex Ward in our prayers.